Hatihei Mauriora, Inga Mana, Inga Rio, Ero Rangatirama. Kia ora and welcome to Māori Initiatives Podcast Show, Tamangai the Mouthpiece, in association with podcast.nz. Thanks for joining us. As each week, our guests share a part of their life's journey to Te Iratangata, improve quality of life. Our special guest uh, this week is uh, Matua Seth Barrett. Kia ora, Seth. Kia ora. Great to have you with us on yeah. our pilot episode. Kia mm. <laughs> uh, Seth is a, I'll just introduce Seth. Seth is a well-regarded uh, West Auckland uh, kaumatua and uh, minister, uh, impacting, uh, I'd say, many people all over the place all the time. And uh, uh, frankly, I don't know where we'd be without you, bro. Uh, so, yeah, I've just invited Seth in tonight to share with us a little bit of his journey and his experience uh, along his hikoia. So, yeah, kia, kia ora, Seth. Kia ora. Um, so, maybe kick off, uh, who are you? Where are you from? Okay. My background is um, I'm an accountant by trade, um, but spend uh, most of my time for the last 30 years uh, in developing uh, Indigenous churches, Māori Evangelical was my first foray into um, into a, a Māori uh, a Māori fellowship, and that was at Chatter Two um, Community Church. It was called Aranui Foundation Trust. I then moved from there to Ranui uh, MEF, and took that over from a brother Sam Kaki. Oh, from Natiani, so um, uh, that was my first uh, position as a full-time full-time pastor. But normal sort of thing, you know. You don't um, don't expect to get paid from the church. You expect to freely did I receive, so freely did I give. And I always look to find work or have work or run a business and coffee lounges and video shops, all the sorts of things that people do. And I think my background is uh, my grandfather uh, being at one of the first um, traders in the Pacific was where I got that, that Matauranga, which was really Jewish or Hebrew, um, okay. where I tended to spend more time trying to understand uh, what Christianity was instead of really under going into that place of, of, of discovering what the Bible was really all about. Yeah, so I spent the first 10 years as a wrestler. Um, as a what? As a wrestler? <laughs> yes. Hello. You didn't hear that. <laughs> King Kamaka. Yes. Did you know King Kamaka? Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I tend not to, uh, when I'm asked, oh, can you, can you share about your, your, your days as a wrestler? I say, man, that was a period of, of, of sinful... Um, a sinful, whatever you want to call it, lifestyle, and I really don't like to. What's the word? I really don't like to uh, to glorify that place, and so I just know that He's forgiven me. And uh, when I walked away from it in 1979, um, yeah, I'd made money, but but I'd also uh, had gotten to some places which were uh, sure was not yeah. good. And so we all go through some stage, I think, and it was typical for this um, English, German, Jew, Tongan, 
Māori <laughs> Fijian to find myself in a place where um, I was with Peter Mavera and, and uh, John De Silva in London and uh, I was 17 and wondering what the heck was I doing here yeah um, and, and so you know you, we all walk a, a path I think and um, it's amazing how God actually brings us through that and the promises that he made to us is never ending you know he continues sure. to say even though even before time I knew you and I drew you into this place so that when we um, and, and I, I remember just um, just 20 years or 17 years ago I was in the States and they asked me to sing at this black church and I was the only white guy there and uh, well white looking guy and uh when they, when I said to them, "Oh, are you sure you want me to sing?" I said, "Yeah, yeah, yeah we want you to sing that. You know that song that you sang at uh, at uh, at the first of May, that Māori song. Can you do that?" So, so that was an, an interesting space, you know, to be in when you uh, and you're an all black church and you you're a white boy singing there. That's something uh, I I consider myself to wow. be a white boy, yeah, because these guys are black. I mean, mm. really black, <laughs> and and they to me are, are, are something that you, when they sing, they, they just light up the room, you know. But but when I heard a five part harmony, I'm going, where's that Marty? You know, you're looking around to see that person who who had this uh, this good voice, but also the people that they were singing with generally all came together in this in this beautiful. And you could tell it nowhere else, not even the Pacific. No, Polynesians do not sing like Māori sing. And I'm not saying Māori. I'm <laughs> saying Māori hapu. You know when, and people will say, "Oh, we're from the coast. We're better than you know. We're, that's where the songs came from." So it's interesting where we, um, we, where our perceptions of what people are, are quickly um, dissolved as as the father takes us through a process and brings us out the other side and, and we, mm-hmm. we're saying hey what have I got to give you know and so at 69 I'm still saying what have I got to give <laughs> yeah so that's so uh, g- going back a step there I, I think it was was it in the early 80s you had quite uh, an instrumental role uh, with the Waipareira 82 83 84 yeah, through to um, 90 so as part of your journey mm. can you kind of because uh, that's really, you know, uh, really such an important um, part of the West for Māori, for health and well-being, having that connection. So you were there right at the beginning of the forming of that. Yeah, there was there was probably um, maybe thirty to forty people who were, we I call them the movers and shakers uh, in the West, um, likes of of um, of um, Tidafai Hatawe. She was part of that yeah. group. Um, uh, you, you know, a lot of other people. Um, the person that made make the most influence on me was a guy by the name of Tuck Nathan. And Tuck had a, couldn't call it all Māori, but had a beautiful uh, spirit and always wanted to. Ngāti Whātua ki, um, ki Ngāpui. Um, had a beautiful spirit and always wanted to to develop this, this process of... Mm. Uh, Urban Māori, uh, dealing with the the uh, the product of the mis 
process or misconnection, if you want to call it that, of moving from the uh, rural areas into the city. So, sorry, Seth, so just, so Tuck, so he had some knowledge there that he was applying around this urban Māori, what would you call it, a kaupapa or? Yeah, it was a whānau. Whānau. So, so um, the whānau was based and we had, we used the social welfare building because we had in our in our group, you know, in, in this group, um, the guy that headed social welfare. Mm. Uh, we also had the guy who headed corrections, um, the woman who was Māori who headed housing, uh, you know, housing corp um, in the west. Uh, we had the Dallow, the police uh, uh, superintendent. Um, those sorts of people saw the, the need and supported this group called Waipareira Whānau. And from the Waipareira Whānau grew the uh, Waipareira oh. Trust. Right. And that whānau, <coughs> when he invited me, when Tuck invited me, and Jack Wehongi, there was a lot of kaumātua queer who were all in their 40s, 50s and 60s, and they were the movers and shakers. Wow. They were largely responsible for the building of Hornyway. Mm. So that group must have been quite uh, made up of quite a dynamic mix. June Maru. Some pretty modern thinking. Uh... Yeah, the, you know, the thing is that what we do, I think, as Māori, we tend to sell ourselves short, and we think that the movers and shakers are the only people. But I, I believe that that any Māori who has uh, their their act together in terms of their matoa will continue to develop things, even though they don't understand it. They'll fly by the seat of their pants until it all falls into place, you know. So I think that where it got to by 1990 was probably the most successful Māori organisation that was in the in Aotearoa. Oh, wow. Uh, get my free subscriptions, <laughs> prescriptions from uh, Waipanata. So, yeah, the full of, so good. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what else? You're, you're also a minister? So yep, tell us what's it, how that happened and what woke up one like? morning in nineteen eighty two or three and the Lord had speaking to me in my dreams and he said, um, I want you to go to this church, ring Mike, I want you to go to this church in Tatatu. Uh, I, I want to go to this Māori church, sorry. And I go, Oh, okay. Right, um, I'll go. I'll go and do that. So I jump on the landline and, and ring a, a guy called Mike Porter, who's my my uh, my friend. And the Porters lived in um, initially lived in in Woodhill, but their father died in a tractor accident back in a uh, uh, 60, oh. Okay. And they headed into uh, they headed into Auckland because at that point they had no way of sustaining themselves out on the little farm that they had. And uh, that's where I met him. Met, met him in Edale Primary back, like I say, nineteen sixty one or sixty. Okay. Sixty one, I think. Wow. And from that point, I, I kept up that relationship, not understanding. My parents went AAG Queen Street, so brought up in the church. Oh, okay. Um, but at 14, I think it was, or 13 or 14, I became a widgie or a bodgie. I can't remember now. A bodgie, I think it was. You know that. Oh, what's that? I don't know. Gangs. 
<laughs> gangs, I think they were. They were the first gangs that you... So, sorry, did you say... So your, your whanau have been in the... What was the AOG movement since... What was it? The early 60s? No, well before that. Oh, before that. Mm, they got married in AOG in Fiji. My oh, parents did. Uh, my mother is Tongan, Māori. And my father's English, German, Jew, Fijian. So Amazing. we're the product of it. And I've got, you know, black and white minstrel, we call them. Uh, my oldest sister, beautiful dancer. Uh, she's now bedridden in hospital bed in, in Hawaii. Um, but they all had some sort of mm, a function, which um, it's funny because you speak a pidgin English, probably Tongan and some Fijian, and then we got to Aotearoa, we learned Māori. <laughs> and so it was easy to to understand Māori because a lot of the words were similar or the same. Aye. Not necessarily the same meaning, but, but certainly the words were the same way to pronounce. And uh, So it was not hard. Not hard for, but we didn't know. We didn't have a, a physical connection because they'd all died. At nineteen twenty-one, I think, was my great great grandmother, and nineteen fifty-one was my grandfather. So there was actually no physical connection that we could make. We had to come, and what I did was I went home, uh, went back to Matata, and started digging through the graves to look for the name, the last name, and then oh, okay. found the last name, and wow. that's the mice. So go to that. Sat on, on Rangatiki uh, Marae for two days and couldn't understand a word that was being said. But it was the, it was the beginning of, of breaking into And they said, oh, no, no, you're not from this Marae. Go up the road to Hauhura and you'll see the graves. Oh, <laughs> That's okay. where you're from. So you, you, you go down this track of learning what and who and what you are. Unless you physically live and have a connecting family member, uh, it's, it's hard to place you know, that connection. Yeah, yeah. A very strong Tongan, very strong Fijian connection with my dad, with a Fijian, and my mum with a Tongan. Well, so you've got that on one side, and then you've got your Maori Jewish other side. Mm. No, no. My Jewish Fijian English father. Right. Fijian. Okay. And my Tongan Maori mother. Tongan Maori mother. Mm. Oh, okay. Oh, interesting. <laughs> And uh, so you've been practicing what as a minister right up till the present, yeah? I've been practicing Active. since eighty four. Mm-hmm. And uh, how do you, how do you find uh, sort of the Lord puts you in all sorts of interesting places? Yeah, I, I, I think that we we write off Māori tend to write off and call it the English, the English men's gospel or the white gospel. In actual fact, when you read the scriptures and dig into the deep parts of the Hebrew thinking and the Hebrew nation and how they were. It's very indigenous. It's not, mm. it is not, mm. um, it's not English anyway. It's not Pakistan. It didn't come out of the Druids. And the Hebrew people are very, I think they're very deep. Rabbinical is a scary thing for a lot of people, but I don't think it's, I, I personally think we've written it off or we've, we've given it a bad rap. Right. And, and therefore, as Māori, we tend to write it off and say, you know, those those guys are not the same as us, they're the wrong colour. But go to Judea, go to the tribe of Judah, and man, they're blacker than... <laughs> not race, I suppose I should say. They're, but they are very dark, dark skin, black eyes, black hair, and a ruddy, you know, brown com- complexion, very much like Māori. Mm. 
So we tend to judge them on what we see on what we see on on, on mainstream uh, media, and I don't want to blame that. But we tend to not to look deep into the scripture, so that we don't actually understand where and who they are and how where they, how do they come? You know, how do, how are we so when I compared them to with Maori is so much like the Hebrew. It's not funny. The yeah, rituals, yeah. the particularly around the things that we we hold. Dear, um, I'm building the house. Um, yeah, the Fanunga Tanga, eh? Manaki Tanga, all that, that. It's all idea yeah. the same. Yeah, yeah, but and, and I and I think what we do is because we're being we're being um, assimilated into the Pakeha culture so much to the point that we, as Maori, uh, as Indigenous people, not Maori, but Indigenous people don't really understand ourselves. And so we're having to to wait for somebody to give us a name. We're having to wait for someone to define us. Where our our def, our definition, our defining moments have been you look at the, the haka today, or the progression of the haka from fifty years ago to where it is today. And yeah, that yeah. is because um, certain people in certain places saw it as being an important part and it's now an integral integral part of, of you know that thing called the All Blacks <laughs> um, which which to yeah. me um, when you go to South Africa and you see all these black fellas running around saying oh All Blacks All Blacks um, you wonder <laughs> you you look at that picture and you say hey does that define Maori is that the way that we should be is that how we see ourselves in fact, I think you've got to be schizophrenic to be Māori and living in New Zealand because yes. of the, the the necessary. If you're part European, you don't have a problem with it. But when you're full-blooded Māori and you're trying to understand the difference uh, you know, in the process, yeah, yeah, and the church hasn't helped in any way at all. So, uh, oh, oh, well, I'll pick up on the first part there. So, Seth, what would you say is a what have you discovered as a key resource for Maori in, in the urbans, like here in Tamaki and Makoto, in the cities? What would you say for you has been a um, how have you been able to preserve your your Maoriness, I suppose, in the in the city? Because uh, I think there are a lot of Maori out there that really uh, struggle to reconnect uh, back home. But you know, you've um, certainly been a Bit of a pioneer, really, uh, especially right. in the West. You, you certainly demonstrate that. What would you say? Well, some of the, some of the well, ways. First thing you got to go that. home. I don't know any you're other way. Way, eh? You've got to go home. You've got to go home where you come from, and go, go and see relatives who are of your, you know, of your parenting. Mm-hmm. Because you can't, you can't do it any other way. <clears throat> when you learn in Tarawa, I sat down there, and and I came back to Auckland and went to Unitech, went back down, and they said. Oh, your Nabwe dialect is not really what we, we, we don't do that here. There's some words that you're using which are a little bit different. So, um, I, I think it's classic. It's easy to say go back to where you come from, but I don't think that's an answer for a lot of Māori. Yeah, because you've got people. some that are two generations apart, you know, mm. and uh, I'm a, I'm a, I meet a lot around the rohi here that uh, haven't been homemade. It's quite, quite shocking. I think it, it was pronounced to me when I went to Australia. I went to Perth and I met some Māori and they spoke like Aussies and they acted like Aussies and say, what? 
you know, they just they just struggle because they've been away for so long. Um, that to it's not till they come home and they discover the food first, and then they discover this culture that's underneath it all. Instead of being that people that boozed and drank that tank dry, there's this mm. underneath at a malai. There's this love, aroha, manaki, that all those things that are that are part of our culture, which aren't seen, and you don't see it unless you go home and sleep in the malai. And in our culture, it's quite different. You you take the Pacific cultures, and men and women don't sleep in the same building. So, so for us, it was being European Māori and and partially Fijian. We we had this issue of of of, of there was a difference between how we thought, our cultural difference, and we they kept on reverting back to oh, bring it back to where I am from. You know, I come from this village and this place and. And there is a very strong thing amongst the Pacific people of where they're from and why they're there um, and why they're here in New Zealand. And it's all its all because it's the resource. It's all because of being able to make, make money and make, have a better life and send the money back, you know. Mm. That's, that's a traditional um, concept for the Pacific people. Okay. Oh, cool. And, and you use the word resource there. Um so that Rawa, you're currently, I know you're engaged around uh, helping to find strategies for housing development and things like that. Mm. Can, you, can you just tell us a little bit about that, what you're sort of looking to model that on maybe? Well, I, 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 th- I think unless you change the picture, unless there is some radical move from the Māori trustee or from the Māori vote, and that the land is taken out of the picture, you're never going to see um, Māori or anybody at this stage, anybody under uh, 45, purchasing a house because mm. there's just no way they're going to have $200,000 wow. as a deposit. And that, that to me, is, is a, a blight on... Because what's happened is that it's, the market has... Is, we live in a, in a world which they say market forces should should mm. actually control the situation, never get involved in controlling the market. But there's a manipulation of the currency every day, every year, every month. Right. February the 22nd, when they all come together and decide who owes who, who owes what, there's a manipulation of the currency. So to talk about market forces working, behind it all there's this, and I call them white men between the ages of 18 and 35 who control that, that, that thinking because they all understand what resources are and how best to make it work for them. Oh, okay. So, and then what is your, what are you saying? What, what do you see as a way take, forward I'm, out of that? I'm saying you've got to take the land out of the equation. Otherwise, it is never going to happen. And when you put the land in the Māori trustee, is pension to purchase the land and then you own the house and then if you've been if you're born in New Zealand or you're Māori um, you have the right to purchase that building at a 20% or 10% you know using the the Tūtafinua home um, the Tūtafinua Act and the home loans which is it comes right. out you're about about 280,000 280,000 so you can currently we can currently build one uh, a three-storied house for somewhere in the 320,000, which has a two two-bedrooms and a three-bedroom and a living area. 
and four car garage downstairs. So let's just, I'll just sort of step that out. So you, what I hear you saying is that you th- you've got a co-papa mm. that you can roll out on iwi land, mm. whereby you can live in a, a three-story terraced house uh, with nan and pop on the ground of what mum, dad, three children on the mm. second and the third for what do you say? Three hundred thousand. Three hundred thousand. Yeah. Wow. The thing that I'm, I'm saying is that it, it doesn't go, doesn't go down. Uh, it doesn't work trying to do it in Papakai, going back to your tribal areas, because there's no work. What it does do is it allows you to purchase through the Mind Trustee land, which is secure for a Totahedi group, if you want to call it that. And then that is held in perpetual on peppercorn rentals. But well, a peppercorn rental, as I understand, is where you pay a dollar, say per annum, for the land. One percent, because you've 1%? got to, you've got yeah. to con- you've got, like to, got to consider this: that you've got to cover the cost of your maintenance. Um, if you take it back to customary title, and you live right off the grid, uh, it means that nothing's going out of your property; <laughs> that you're saving all your water. You are dealing with all your waste, so your waste minimisation, you're dealing with your sewage, and your water you're receiving from the, you know, from the mm, hands, mm. Or, you, or you buy it in. And have you got any buy-in from any iwi, or where's it currently at? I'm currently talking with... <laughs> Why aren't we doing this? <laughs> you know, I heard a statistic. So, uh, at Tamaki Makoto, more than 80% of Māori, or 8 out of every 10 Māori, do not own a home. And it's seven out of ten Māori whānau across Aotearoa because do not of, own a Because home. of vested interest. Vested interest oh. which continue to propagate uh, market forces, which in turn talks about making profit and keeping that rate value up so that my rate value of my home doesn't drop. So the councils make decisions on green and brown spaces. And that's what continues to propagate this um, first-past-the-post, or if you want to call it, another word, market forces. I frankly think that until we look at where we've come from, back in the 50s where Mr Savage did his his stuff and, and brought us to a place where first woman to get the vote, Kilda. the whole lot of stuff that New Zealand did, but... Um, we still had a very racist view Mm. and it was very narrow and it was about winning and that is the the base and the understanding of a whole lot of Kiwis that I grew up with like I grew up I went up Mount Algrava and there was only one Māori boy in the class probably three in the whole school three three uh, other Māori boys in the whole school Mm. well that sounds like a um, I mean we need that we need that kind of vision. Uh, now, I, I, I'm interested. How do you? Can you get that into this into the city, into the urban spaces? Yeah, but but who's going to purchase? Um, who's going to purchase a 40 acre block at, at 335000 dollars an acre? Who's going to do that? Yeah, it's like a gold brick for every square meter. Yeah, and 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 quite frankly. Um, the vested interests like the real estate, the builders, 
they're all tied into one group or the other. You know, they're all tied into yeah. either national party, or Labour, and it's vested interest. You, you you look at the issue with Fletcher's in the last few months. It's not by chance. Every every job that goes out through the government, Fletcher's at the top of the tree. Mm. First mm. first rank cab off the rank. I say that's wrong in its in its essence. But you, they say, but you don't have the experience. Well, how can we have the experience if in fact you don't let us? Bid on that. What's the you know? What's the difference between our bids? Well, our bids are basically around this thing. It's not rocket scientists. It's about control. Yeah. It's yeah. about uh, racism, which is deep seated in the New Zealand psyche. Right. Yeah. It's quite conservative too. eh? the government sort of want a conservative when it comes to spending that money, and they want to put it through a company they think that is like is a safe bet. eh? Done exactly the same as the Runang Act. Mm. Put the money through a group of people that they say they can trust, that the money's not going to go missing. Well, quite frankly, it's about this partnership that we're supposed to have under the treaty. But the partnership's not... It's a Clayton's, eh? It's a Clayton's partnership. We'll give you money, but we want to, we want to tell you what to do with the money. Mm. Um, don't make the mistakes that, uh, that we think you're going to make. So just... To- Sort of put a positive sort of summation to that. <laughs> how do you, would you, knowing that that there's this vision, how do you, how do we put that, implement that? Well, because we it, need it, to do it. It, it, it would be uh, easy to happen if, in fact, you could bring money offshore without having to fight with the treasury about it. Yeah, I'd try to do it. it cost me twenty what, grand. What about approaching the government to see if they'll? Um, no, you've got to do no. it through treasury. You can't do it. The government is really one part of the equation. It's the Treasury sure. people and the decisions that are made at government level that, that controls Treasury. And Treasury says, unless you've got $100 million that you've turned over in the last year or two years, you can't bring that money in. Yet there's money out there for us to bring in, but we can't bring it in because Treasury won't agree to it. Because if, in fact, it was called up, this is the excuse, if, in fact, that money was called up, we would have to find that money to pay back. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, the concept to me is not about... Um, it's not about whether, in fact, we're uh, living in a land which is... We live in a land which, um, if you're in that top 30%, you're okay. You're earning seventy-five dollars to $80,000 at the moment. Uh, you're still struggling to meet, if you're looking at how many times per your income, three to four times per your income, is the value house. Well, my house is worth... Two million dollars. That's crazy. It's nuts. I bought it for six hundred sixty-two thousand dollars. Yeah, yeah. Eight, ten years ago. Uh, the inflation that's gone with that property uh, is it, it, just at the point where there is no way, as far as I'm concerned, there's no way that the average Māori earning sixty thousand dollars a year is going to be able to do it unless we change that concept of how we live. Right. So it's kind of like getting the right people around the vision. Okay. I think there's got to be a change. In, I, no, I think there's got to be a change in policy because mm. because in our larger groups, in our, our bigger Iwis, we're still looking at the bottom line. The bean counter is telling us what's important, not the people, not the marae, but the money that that sits in our bank account and the resources we have. And look, look how wonderful we are. We might have lost 170 million, but we're looking good. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, cool, cool. 
Okay, um, so just sort of trying to think about summing summing it up because you've mm-hmm. done a lot. You've um, with the Waipareira, the the ministry, and now kind of this development uh, uh, space that you're in. Um, what's next? I have a product which I think replaces timber. So, uh, want to tell us about that? <laughs> Far out. Um, yeah, it's still got to be codemarked. It's still got to be um, proven for seismic tests. But I think it does. It ticks all the boxes. Um, and what it does, it takes wood and steel out of the structure. It might He might still ha- need to use steel to get the seismic, uh, the seismic issue right, but I don't think so. I think the bonding of those hot glues are really the most important part. And the fact it's made out of carbon. Wow. Carbon fibre. Carbon fibre, right. Yeah. Carbon fibre and, and re- fire retardant poly- polystyrene. So is this part of your core co-papa around this terraced housing kind mm. of as a dealing yes. to the margin? Because I know uh, the margins are so high, eh? It's what pushes the house price up. The, well, we, we can cut once 40. you slap your margin on the jib, the plaster, the paint, we, the we timber. We can cut 40% out of the cost of that, that house. Say that again? 40% out of the cost of that house. Save 40%. We can get... Arms wow. and legs, arms and legs to carry the, the the parts from the container to the site. That gives you ten thousand um, dollars each person. Uh, that gives you sweat equity. What's that? Well, I know that what helps. that is, but for it helps in your what's sweat equity? Sweat equity means that you don't have to put the cash in; that you you put the work in, and it gives you uh, a value to your deposit. So that's a. Something the bank will look on positively Absolutely. in terms of Absolutely. contributing to a reduction on Absolutely. what would otherwise be what twenty well, percent or something eh, is a yeah. deposit. So wow. if it's your first home, it's ten percent. Um, the things that I think that we've got to have we change for Māori and particularly people who are born in in Aotearoa is that particularly if you're under a certain level, and to ensure that you get to that point of being, is that you must save X amount of dollars. That's what they've tried with other groups. Right. And it hasn't yeah. been successful. I know in some places no. we're only getting 14% of the sales, and yet we put $126 million into the into the land, and we, it was Māori land. Okay. So what's wrong with that picture? Yeah, that's a bit of a dark hole, that one, eh? <laughs> so uh, I'll kind of just like sort of wrapping this up a little bit here. Mm. So... As I said, a positive step forward is you've gone out yourself, you've come up with this co-papa, this idea of peppercorn leasing of the land, pay for the house. Mm. Uh, you've gone out and found some material offshore, mm. bringing that in yeah, the, as a way to reduce that margin, get and the, the and price the other, down, make yeah. it affordable, and, and the you're other, adding sweat equity on top of that. Yeah, and the other point too is that you've got to have income insurance and you've got to close the loop. Hang on, that's awesome. Break that. Well, income insurance. Income insurance means that. So this is mum and dad. Everybody, everybody that's working, you take income insurance. Is a is a it's a underwritten by Lloyd's. Um, you can go to several places for that sort of insurance, but if you have a group of five hundred houses, and all buying income insurance, the price goes down. But when you have us individually going into uh, an insurance company and trying to get a a deal, it's impossible because you haven't got the numbers. 
So Māori can do it collectively. But what we've got to do is we've got to look at our disparity stakes and the alcohol and the gambling uh, and, the, and the, the drugs, if you want to call it that, um, just put us behind the eight ball all the time because our numbers in that area are up to 50% of the population. And so that's what keeps dragging us back to this place. Will, will we ever succeed? Well, we will succeed, but we've got to start off on equal, on equal footing. And so for me, it's about, it's about not, not just, you know, you, can, you just can't open a bank. You just can't do that. They won't let you do it. Right. Yeah. But there is a way of doing it through an indigenous group, which is currently what I'm looking at. Um, but again, they'll still control the numbers that we get inside, in, into the country. Okay. So, a, a, not to put you on the spot, but have you, have you called a, a hui to... I mean, it'd be great to. Well, do people know? How do people get this information? I mean, that, that's the. I mean, because this is the number one. I, I, next I, to employment, housing is, you know, it's a, the most critical item right now. I think the problem, and so, always be, was the more that you have as a group of people, the more you want. Mm. And unfortunately, the Runung Act and what's happened with the settlements have taken us to a place where. We don't have control of that anymore. The bean counters have it. And they're saying the most important thing is the bottom line. Yeah. And, and it detracts from the ability to develop around, uh, if you wanted to go home and do a co-popper at home, uh, what's actually happening with the internet and with uh, so much of the modern technology. I think it's prime to develop back home. But you've still got to have some way of going farm to plate if you know what I'm saying. Farm to plate, right, Farm okay. And so that's part of the issue. And the other part of the issue is trying to get off grid. Okay, so what I hear you say, we need to develop entrepreneurial yeah. innovation thinking yeah. that's kaupapa Māori yeah. uh, and go back to our roots and sort of... Right. Well, if you go through Manirua, Māngani, all those areas in the south, the largest shopping centres are all run by pack and saves and countdowns and people with money and they continue to take <laughs> and my, that picture to me is where we've got to be we've got to be the, the pack and save and the countdowns and hand on the savings so that's the action that's the proactive keep it keep it simple keep the beef and the lamb and the chickens still whole um, s- stay away from all the the, the sweet drinks and stuff like that, and just milk and, and water, and our water, because it is ours, but we've just let the Pākehā take control ooh, of that. Ooh. And the second part is the, is the, is the issue around, um, uh, around uh, using paper and wax paper instead of plastic. Mm. Well, kia ora, Seth, is a... <laughs> We could sure. uh, write books on any one of those <laughs> topics. Mm. Uh, I think it would be really good to uh, continue uh, the kōrero uh, next time around um, this whole development kaupapa that you're talking about in the housing. I, I think more more of us yes. want to hear more about that. <coughs> I know you're, you're trying to keep it on the low down until no. tangibles come, but it, I, I think it's really it, uh, if exciting. You, if you use the malai as your centre point to get that information out, 
that's probably one of the most important things, and to drive it with with technology. That that what happens is a podcast in a in a, in a malai is the ideal uh, process as far as I'm concerned because you can't do that. Terrible. You try and get Māori TV, and our chairman is Pototo Napolo. He's our chair Matato. Um, yeah, we get you know you get a lead in, but the thing is, when you're in control, I think that makes a difference. When you're in control of what's been said, uh, so much of what we talk about is filtered out. And, and my mate George is hot on the tuti. That he's another one, you know, he's another one that is. Uh, I don't know how the Lord put us together, but He did. No, kia ora. Well, Seth, um, no, that's awesome. Just, I think we're taking away from here today is sort of you speaking across 30 years hmm. of being here in, in the city and seeing Māori develop and bring us to this point. In some ways, I think it's, it, it, you know, I always feel a bit sad when I, like last night in the Herald, seeing all of our Fano sleeping on the streets. The first thing I noticed was all Māori or Pacific Island. Yeah, but that doesn't need to happen. That doesn't, That's right. That doesn't need to be. That's right. Because there's Malais out there that are yeah. prepared to take them. They, all they've got to do is just somebody's got to connect them to it. But there's no Māori, there's no Malai in the city that's prepared to take them. No, that's right. Te Puya uh, and Manirua are taking large numbers of people and putting them into places, you know, getting them finally. And that's the issue. It's not about finding them just somewhere to sleep. It's about that continuation and understanding that it's the resource they need to earn. You know, the earns need to be somewhere in the thirty to $40,000 per person. But you can't do that if, in fact, you don't know how to. So that, so for me, uh, not Bitcoin is something that I've been you know, doing for three or four years. Um, mm. A lot of people think it's it's too... What, um, it's too... Um, Mount Gok gave me a bit of a fright, but <laughs> otherwise, <laughs> otherwise, you know, you you're learning. He was the creator of the Bitcoin, eh? Is no, that the one? No, oh, not him. No, oh. he was the second guy up. Second guy. Um, it, it really, at the end of the day, I think it's a matter of channeling our resources into the places where the most needy is, and I think that's our biggest failure. Aotearoa to me is not the Aotearoa I knew when I came when you know when we first opened our eyes and saw what it was it's not what it used to be um, and and the the poor and the vulnerable are the most um, likely people to get hurt in this world and that's how you see them sleeping on the street and they, at the end of the day they're just surviving and I think that's a blight on not just Pākehā, but Māori society also. Yeah, well, uh, you know, people, we get your uh, housing scheme up and going. Oh, yeah. uh, that's certainly going to help. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, no, thank you for t- um, sharing those thoughts tonight. Mm-hmm. I mean, some of those things uh, come from your personal journey and I'm uh, very honoured to, uh, to receive that tonight and I know that's going to encourage uh, a lot of our listeners uh, 
to consider and think, and uh, we'll certainly uh, look forward to uh, getting you back on the back, back on the show, Seth, and uh, we'll continue that uh, kōrero. So uh, thank you for sharing your story with us today. Uh, yeah, and as I say, we look forward to having you back on the Mangai podcast next time.